You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Grateful to have you with us this Ash Wednesday. We're going to look at just a couple verses in Philippians as we're continuing in that book uh, during this Lenten season. So if you have your Bible, you can make your way there to Philippians 1, 27 through 30, just a few verses tonight. Uh, I was grateful for how even this ties in with what we're remembering tonight about our mortality and about the existence of sin and its consequences and why we pursue repentance. But the church in Philippi uh, was a church birthed in opposition. Uh, One scholar put it this way, said, there had never, ever been a congenial environment for the gospel in Philippi. From its uh, earliest days, we read about that in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas came there and they cast out a demonic spirit from a girl who told fortunes, uh, they were accused of disturbing the peace, they were beaten as a response, as a result of that, and they were put into prison. And then after being miraculously freed from prison, the authorities apologized that they didn't know they were Roman citizens. They didn't know that that was true of Paul. Uh, They apologized, but then they ushered Paul and Silas out of the city as quickly as possible. That's the the conflict that the Philippians witnessed Paul endure. And as we're going to read in our text tonight, it's the same conflict the Philippians themselves are now engaged in. And so as we begin Lent, this intentional season of repentance and preparation for Easter, this text gives us a lot to examine about our lives, especially about what we should expect in this world fractured by sin and how as followers of Jesus we're we're called to respond to that. So I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 through 30. Only let your life Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. This is the, uh, the first major imperative or command in the book of Philippians, in this letter. Uh, up to this point, Paul hasn't really told the Philippians to do anything. He's been just telling them about his gratitude for them. He's been telling them about what's true of them. But here in verse 27, he calls them to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the language that that he's using there is the language of citizenship. He's saying here, in the face of continual opposition, in the face of suffering, I'm calling you to behave as worthy citizens of Jesus' kingdom. And so with just a few minutes we have tonight, Let's walk through this a little bit. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom are a people. Talk about that first. They're a people. They're an opposed people. They're a suffering people. 
And then lastly, there are saved people. So first, a people, a people. Citizens of Jesus's kingdom are not independent. They're interdependent. Uh, They're meant to stand firm, as Paul writes here, in one spirit. We are, as we put our faith in Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which means that we're fundamentally united. We have union and we're meant to have communion with, with each other. That means that, that we're meant to function with one mind, as Paul says, and to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul shifts kind of his language here from citizenship to the language of athletics or combat. And he's saying we're meant to, as Christians, to see each other as teammates or to see each other as a, a band of brothers fighting in the trenches together. We're fighting against a different team. We have opponents, but it's not our fellow Christians. As we come to find out, there's division among some of the Christians there in Philippi. We're going to read more about that in the weeks to come. But in chapter 4, Paul is going to plead in particular with two women there in Philippi, Euodia and Syntyche, to get along. And it's a glimpse of how sin aims to corrupt our relationships and our unity that that we have as Christians. Though there are, are certainly things worth breaking fellowship over, most things don't fall into that category. Most of, uh, most of our disputes, most of our disagreements should not outweigh that fundamental togetherness we have. When that happens, when those disputes and disagreements do outweigh that togetherness, there's a different spirit at work. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's spiritual forces of evil. And so this Ash Wednesday, consider are you standing firm and striving side by side with other Christians? Or have you become too independent? Are you really part of a people? Are you living in light of that reality that you're part of a people? Or do you function as a, as a free agent? And have you let disputes, whether that's over mandates and masks or the particulars of responding to social justice issues, have you let those things outweigh the fundamental unity you have with others in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Wherever that's true of you, repent and believe the gospel this Lent. Let's live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Second, citizens of Jesus' kingdom are an opposed people. An opposed people. The, The specifics are different, but like Philippi, we could say that we're not living in an environment congenial to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We are people who have peace, but our surroundings are not peaceful. So the first thing for us to consider and to repent of is how caught off guard, how surprised we are by this. Why did we ever think otherwise? When Jesus gave us a second birth, when we were born again, as it were, did we think that it was a new birth into a time of peace? No, we were born again into a war, into a cosmic battle. And our enemy, ultimately, is not flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly places. These spiritual forces find expression in flesh and blood opponents of the gospel. That's what Paul's writing about in verse 28. Those who persist in opposition to Jesus and his kingdom, in other words, also oppose the citizens of that kingdom. I often describe myself as a recovering people pleaser. It's one of the things that I'll be pursuing repentance in again this, this Lenten season. I have to be constantly aware of my tendency to fear people more than I fear God. 
And so as much as anyone, I need the reminder that no matter how much I want to be at peace with everyone, no servant is above his master. If people oppose Jesus, they will oppose us. If they set themselves in opposition to the king, then they will certainly oppose citizens of his kingdom. Ash Wednesday reminds us that we, are, we have not arrived at our eternal home. This is not our ultimate and eternal home. Uh, that our bodies and that this world still feel the effects of humanity's fall. When you receive these ashes in a little while, you are a marked man or a marked woman. You're marked by mortality. It's a reminder that, that your earthly life will come to an end. And that's as a consequence of, of humanity's sin but you're also marked for opposition. The the same sin that brings our lives to an end, it still persists in opposition to the king and to his kingdom. And so if you've forgotten that, if you've become surprised, as we do at times, by the opposition that you face, then this Lent, repent and believe the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third, Third, citizens of Jesus' kingdom are a suffering people. A suffering people. Paul is calling the Philippians here to press on in the midst of their opposition, in the midst of suffering. Uh, There are all kinds, there are all forms of suffering. But here Paul is specifically referring to suffering, verse 29, for Jesus' sake. Suffering for Jesus' sake. In other words, things that happen to us because We are followers of Christ. And the startling thing and scandalizing even is that Paul calls this kind of suffering a grace. He calls it a grace. He says in verse 29, it's been granted to us to suffer for Jesus' sake. It's a gift, in other words, granted to us from God. And Paul, of course, got this crazy idea from Jesus. Jesus taught in his famous sermon on the mountain, Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said not long after, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Since Jesus said those words, that became the consistent testimony of the apostles and of the early church. Peter and John in the book of Acts rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer reproach for the name of Jesus. And when we get to Philippians chapter 3 in a couple weeks, Paul is going to ask, he's going to ask to share in Jesus' suffering so that he might become like him in his death. As as 21st century Americans, uh, we've gotten completely turned around on this. Uh, We've come to think that Jesus suffered so that we don't have to. Now, from a salvation standpoint, that's true. That's true. You do not have to bear the penalty of your own sin. But Jesus didn't suffer to give you and me a suffering-free life. He suffered instead to redeem your suffering. He suffered to give meaning, real meaning to your suffering. He suffered to invite you and me into a kind of suffering that actually deepens our relationship, deepens our communion with him and with with others, other Christians. Lent 
as we're beginning tonight, points us to Jesus's cross. It points us to Good Friday and to Jesus's cross, to the sin of the world that put Jesus there, to my sin that put him there. As we look to the cross this Lent, remember that Jesus has called you to carry a cross too. You don't have to carry his. You can't carry his. He's already carried it. But you are called to carry your own. To follow Jesus means to carry a cross, to to be bold and stand firm for the sake of the gospel, to speak the truth in love, to be reviled and lied about and spoken evil of. And so if you have put your cross down, or maybe if you recognize you've maybe refused to ever pick it up in the first place, then this Lent, repent and believe the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fourth and finally, citizens of Jesus' kingdom are a saved people. A saved people. We aren't just granted to suffer for Jesus' sake. That would not be a grace. That would not be a gift if it stood by itself. But as Paul writes here, the other gift, the other grace is salvation. It's been granted to us for the sake of Christ that we should believe in him. And we know from some of Paul's other writings that all who believe in him, all who call on his name are given the right to become children of God. Jesus has drawn us to himself. He has opened our eyes. He has bought us with his own blood and he has made us his people. Uh, The only reason that we can talk about being citizens of Jesus' kingdom is because Jesus has made us such. He has naturalized us, as it were. He's established us and he has given us that standing. We are, and we get to enter in as somber as Ash Wednesday is, as somber as the season of Lent is, we get to enter into it knowing from day one that Easter's coming, that we are a saved people, that Jesus is reconciling the world to himself. He will put down those who persist in opposition to him. And some of us, who once opposed him, who once made ourselves his enemy, he has made, through his own death, through his own resurrection, he has made sons and daughters and friends and citizens. So this Lent, I would implore you, don't fast and pray as some kind of self-salvation project, as if you had in yourself the power to do enough to cover your sin to earn something back from God. Remember that because of Jesus, you are a saved people. No matter how much that you and I fast and pray, no matter how much we examine ourselves this Lent, we will fall short. We will never completely live up to what Paul is calling us to to here. We will never live completely worthy of the gospel of Christ. But that very gospel declares Jesus has already lived a worthy life for you and me. And so united with him, indwelt by his Holy Spirit, we actually can honor him. We actually can live like a citizen of his kingdom. So may he make us, even more this Lenten season, may he make us worthy citizens. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, eternal and almighty Father, we praise you even tonight especially tonight, for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through whom we have received forgiveness of our sin and received eternal life. Grant us, therefore, gracious Father, the grace to observe a holy Lent, 
by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, by fasting, by self-denial, by reading and meditating on your holy word. Grant that we may remember that though we are dust and to dust we will one day return, we have also been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.